This morning we're starting a new series, but before we come to God's Word, let's go for a few minutes to the, the movies. I can't actually show you the 100-second clip that I would love to show you because I think some of you might find it offensive. I'm talking about some of the most iconic footage in modern British cinema, the opening scene of Danny Boyle's 1996 classic, Trainspotting depicts the life of four Edinburgh friends. The scene I have in mind shows Renton and Spud, two of the central characters in the movie. They're running down Princess Street in Edinburgh, chased by what looked like security guards. Their skinhead haircuts and their clothing give us a sense straight away that these are, these are thugs or hoods. They have CDs and DVDs uh, sliding out from under their hoodies and, and falling onto the pavement. Uh, and as the guards chase them, it all suggests that they've been up to no good. Shoplifting, probably. And over the fast-moving images and the driving Iggy Pop soundtrack, Renton gives an iconic speech. Maybe you saw the movie and you remember the speech. If not, here it is in full. Choose life, choose a job, choose a career, choose a family, choose a lovely big television, choose washing machines, cars, compact disc players, and electrical tin openers. Choose good health, low cholesterol, and dental insurance. Choose fixed interest mortgage repayments. Choose a starter home, choose your friends. Choose leisure wear and matching luggage. Choose a three-piece suite on higher purchase in a range of lovely fabrics. Choose DIY and wondering who on earth you are on a Sunday morning. Choose sitting on that couch watching mind-numbing, spirit-crushing game shows, stuffing junk food into your mouth. Choose rotting away at the end of it all in a miserable home nothing more than an embarrassment to the selfish brats you spawned to replace yourselves. Choose your future. Choose life. I said a few moments ago that I daren't show you the actual clip for fear of offending you. I had to edit the language to prepare my slides. Whether you would have been offended by that clip or not, doesn't worry me too much. That, that's not the big issue. But there's something here that should be deeply offensive to all of us. The truth that Renton is telling us about how badly we're living our lives in modern day Britain. In, in this opening scene of the movie, this screenwriter, Irving Welsh, in the voice of Mark Renton, is telling us what he sees when he looks at the culture this, he says, is the life that's on offer. The speech hasn't quite ended at this point. After telling us how he sees life, Renton responds, choose life, but why would I want to do a thing like that? I chose not to choose life. I chose something else. And the reasons, there are no reasons. Who needs reasons when you've got heroin? That opening scene launches us into Danny Boyle's memorable movie, These Four Edinburgh Heroin Addicts. 
by the way, just to be clear, I'm not recommending that you watch Trainspotting, all right? It's been around for 26 years. You will know by now whether it's your cup of tea or not. I, I remember first seeing the movie and finding that opening scene prophetic. I thought it was just brilliant. Finally, somebody is actually willing to stand up, hold the mirror, and say, there it is. There's your culture. That's the life that you're living. That's the life you'll end up living unless you choose to live a different life. By the way, Irving Welsh wasn't the only person saying that kind of thing in the 90s. I don't know if you remember, some of you, it depends on your age, might remember Blur, the, the pop group, the rock group. Uh, they became famous with their album Park Life in 1994. They'd made two previous albums and here's the cover of their 1993 album. Gives you an idea of what they think of the culture that they were living in, Britain in the 90s. Many of the songs in that album were written in 1992 during the band's tour of America. Damon Albarn, the singer, said that the songs and the album were a direct reaction to the vacuous that America was filling us with. So it turns out that in the 90s, my early adult years, the formative years of my life, musicians, movie makers were warning us. They, they were showing us what we weren't seeing or were choosing not to see or were too polite to talk about in places like this, that modern life is rubbish. In the UK, in the States, and pretty much all over. Well, we might say, that was then, 1996. What's it like now? Well, some of you will know this. Irving Welsh came back just a few years ago and had another go with a, another movie, T2, Trainspotting in 2017. So we have Sick Boy and Begbie joining Renton and Spud again. And Welsh, he pays homage to his 1996 script with another Choose Life quotation, this time updated for the Times. Choose life. Choose Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the hope that someone, somewhere, actually cares. Choose looking up old flames, wishing you'd done it all differently. Choose watching history repeat itself. Choose your future. Choose reality TV, slut-shaming, revenge porn. Choose a zero-hours contract and a two-hour journey to work. Choose the same for your kids, only worse. And smother the pain with an unknown dose of an unknown drug made in somebody's kitchen. And then take a deep breath. You're an addict. So be addicted. Just be addicted to something else. Choose the ones you love. Choose your future. Choose life. In the 90s, the focus was on materialism and how we'd lowered our vision to three-piece suite spot on higher purchase. More recently, in 2017, Welsh characterizes life in Britain as one of addiction and paranoia as zero hours contracts and social media have eroded our sense that someone, somewhere, actually cares. If he was making a movie today, T3, Trainspotting, what would he be talking about? 
the pandemic, social distancing, mental health, the cost of living. I doubt the picture would be any cheerier. Modern life in Britain in the 90s was rubbish. Beware, says Welsh, it may still be rubbish today in all sorts of different ways. Folks, as I say, those quotations from those train spotting movies, I found utterly prophetic. For me, they serve as a wake up call. How am I going to live? What am I going to do with this life that God has created? This life that Jesus has redeemed? This life that the Spirit wishes to inhabit? Am I going to choose life? We've started with train spotting this morning, but I'm, I'm not planning to stay there. That might be a relief to you. I'm not a film critic. I'm a pastor. So from here on in, I'm going to be talking less about films and more about God's word, the Bible. And this morning, I'm inviting you to this particular part of the Bible, this book of Deuteronomy, because I believe it's a masterful introduction, a masterful invitation to come and to choose life. In our opening passage this morning, we got a tiny glimpse of the context. Moses, he's talking to the, the people of Israel just before they go into the promised land. We're going to learn much more about that context as we study the book together these next weeks. Turn with me, though, to that second passage we read this morning, Deuteronomy 30. Here we have Moses the chief character in this book, summarizing what he's been telling his audience right through the whole book. Verse 19. I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. As far as talking about life goes or about choosing life, Irving Welsh is pretty late to the party. He's about 3,000 years at least behind Moses. As I say, we're going to be studying this book of Deuteronomy this autumn. And, and I always try to tell you at the start of a, a major series, why? Why this part of God's word? Why now? Three reasons. It's the greatest sermon ever preached. Well, nobody got anywhere ever by understatement, did they? So Deuteronomy, the greatest sermon ever preached. Second, it's a part of the Bible that Jesus loved. And third, we're prone to wonder. So first of all, this idea that Deuteronomy is the greatest sermon ever preached. De Deuteronomy, as we're going to see, it's the ultimate biblical sermon. It's 40 years since the Exodus, since God used Moses to, to bring the people out of Egypt, that land of slavery, to bring them toward the promised land that he promised their fathers, that journey, we're told, should last 12 days. If you know the story, you'll know that they've been on the road for 40 years. It's, it's to do with the, the choices God's people made. It's to do with how they refused to receive his invitation to life and chose to rebel against him and go their own way. They made catastrophic choices and a whole generation had died 
in the wilderness without ever reaching the promised land. But now they're back. They're back on the border of the promised land. They're ready to enter it and make it their, their home. They can see it. They can smell it. There's the land that God has promised. And an old man rises to speak to them one last time. What does he do? Well, he gives them one of the greatest speeches in all of human history. Think about this personally for a moment. Moses has been their leader now for about 50 years. Under him, a small rabble has become a nation. They've received God's law. They've discovered that God sees them as his, his treasured possession, that he wants this nation to be his own in a very special way. Everyone sitting on that plane that day had, had grown up under Moses. He was like their, their spiritual father. So these people are about to enter the land and, and, and there's a, something very poignant here. Moses isn't going with them. God's told him that. We'll think more about that, but he's, he's not going. So this is his last chance to, to speak to these people and, and to preach a sermon. And all he wants for them is that they would choose life. Folks, when I, when I read Deuteronomy, there's an urgency, a pastoral urgency in this book that I love because I get it. I understand why Moses is talking the way he does. I have people, I'm, I'm like Moses, I have people under my care and for now the people under my care are you. And nothing matters more to me. I, I don't know what you think matters to me, whether you think it's, it's running a good church or having a, a reputation, none of that matters. What matters to me, the only thing that matters to me is the life that you're living. I don't know if you believe me, but I'll tell you it's true. All that matters to me is the life that you're living. I'm desperate for you to choose life. I don't want you to live the life that our culture offers because it is rubbish. It's a life without meaning and without purpose. It breaks my heart to see people slide into desperation and addiction, whether it's the classic addictions of alcohol and drug abuse, or whether it's the contemporary addictions of too much food, too little food, too much social media, too much of other kinds of media. I want you to choose life. And that's why I'm taking you to this part of God's word, the greatest sermon ever preached, so that I can echo the words of Moses and say, I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. So we're going to study Deuteronomy because it's the greatest sermon ever preached. If that wasn't a good enough reason for us to get to know this book, let me offer you a second reason related to the first. Jesus loved this book. We're disciples of Jesus Christ here at Hamilton Road. We say that often. We're his apprentices. We're learning from Jesus how to live. Think about that for a second. If that really means anything, then surely the things that excite Jesus ought to excite me. The things that Jesus loved 
ought to be becoming the things that I love. If I learned that Jesus loved a particular book of the Bible, that it had nurtured his faith, that it had been really vitally important in his spiritual formation, that he was quoting from it regularly and constantly pointing other people to it, wouldn't I want to look at that book? Well, that book is Deuteronomy. We can make a case for saying that Deuteronomy is Jesus' favorite book. I don't know if it is, but I'm going to make the case. It's certainly the book that he quotes from most often. Let me show you. Flick with me for a moment to Luke chapter 4. The heading there in the NIV tells us immediately uh, what's going on here. It's that uh, famous episode where Jesus is tempted, tested in the wilderness by Satan. Look at verse 3. Satan approaches Jesus for a first time. If you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answers, it is written. Man does not live by bread alone. When Jesus said it is written, he's, he's telling us that he's quoting from somewhere. So where is he quoting from? What other part of the Bible? Well, the NIV is kind enough to give us a footnote. He's quoting from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. Satan comes back with a second temptation. He shows Jesus the kingdoms of the world, and he says, if you worship me, all of this will be yours. Jesus answers, verse 8, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So where is that written? Well, Again, a footnote helps. That command is tucked away there in Deuteronomy 6, 13. Satan comes with a third temptation, takes him to the highest point of the temple, tells him to throw himself down to test his father's willingness and ability to protect him. Jesus answered verse 12, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Guess where that's coming from, right? Deuteronomy. This time, chapter 6, verse 16. Jesus loved Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy had shaped his interior world. If we want to grow as faithful followers of Jesus Christ, we need to know more of what Jesus knew, to grow to love more the things that he loved, and, and to allow God's word and spirit to shape us more and more like Jesus. Why study Deuteronomy? It's the greatest sermon ever preached. Jesus loved this book. And a third reason. Th those other two, I would say, make sense at any point. But this third reason for me is a little bit more to do with timing. This explains a little of why I've chosen to preach this book now. And that is that we're prone to wander. Moses first preached this sermon on the borders of the promised land after 40 years of wilderness wandering. We'll see it next week when we start the book proper. In their recent history, the, the people had got many things wrong. They'd failed to choose the life that God had offered them. They'd ended up wandering in the desert. 
By the way, the, the book that precedes Deuteronomy, the one that we call Numbers, it has a different and far more instructive title in the Hebrew. It's called Bemidvar, which simply means in the wilderness, because it's the book that talks about the wandering in the wilderness. So Moses' great Deuteronomy sermon comes in the context of wilderness and of wandering. Folks, God's people, Israel, were prone to wander. And so are we. I see it in our church life. We have just emerged for, from two or more years of pandemic. For, for us here at Hamilton Road, that season of pandemic coincided with a, another difficulty, a period of vacancy. There's a sense in which we, we've been wandering. We're like the people of God emerging from the desert, standing now on the plains of Moab, looking ahead to the promised land. We need to hear God's word. We need to hear in a fresh way his invitation to choose life, to be crystal clear that our commitment is to him. As I look on my own life and as I've been getting to know many of you better, I see it there too. We're prone, aren't we, to wander. Truth be told, many of us are completely lost. But there's grace in this story. So much grace. To a nation who have rebelled against him, to who have been unfaithful to him, God proves himself to be faithful. After, after all the ways they'd let him down, after four decades, still he brings his word to them in a fresh way, a fresh invitation. Choose life, he says. Look again at verse 19. Notice the language, the urgency. This day, Moses said, I call the heavens and the earth to be my witness. Now choose life. Folks, today is the day to stop, to stop living the way we are living. Do, do, do you see how stark Moses draws it? He talks about life and death. There's a life and death issue. He uses terms uh, like, like blessing and curse. And he uses this urgent language. Today is the day. Now is the time. Folks, let, let that sit with us today. And let's hear his invitation to choose life. Let me say a little bit more about how this series will work and then I'll conclude very quickly. Deuteronomy has 34 chapters. If we preach through it verse by verse, that's, that's going to be hard going, isn't it? If we did even half a chapter a week, that's a long, long series. Probably take us a year and a half to get through it. I don't think that's a good idea. So we're not going to do that. I don't think we need to do that. I think we can get a great look at this book between now and Christmas. So here's the invitation. Why don't we all try to read it? What I'll do is I'll try to tell you on a given Sunday what, what you might read for the next week. Next week, we're going to look at the first three chapters of Deuteronomy. Why not try to read those three chapters? It doesn't matter if you can't. Don't stay away from church. 
if you forgot to read. But if you can, read the first three chapters. We'll keep encouraging you to do that. If we read this book, we're going to be confronted with some of this brilliant biblical teaching, Moses' great sermon. He's going to point people back to the mistakes that they made in the past, and he's going to say, don't live like that. Choose life. He's going to confront them with what lies ahead in the future. He's going to tell them about a time when they're settled in the land, when they're, they're more comfortable than they've ever been. They've been slaves in Egypt. They've been wanderers in the desert. He's going to warn them about the dangers of complacency and, and about forgetting about God. And he's going to say, don't live like that. Choose life. And as we spend time with Moses, as we get a feel for all of this, what's important to him, we're going to be better prepared than ever for thinking about the life that really is life. The life that Jesus Christ, the greater Moses, came to bring. Folks, some of our theology does us a massive disservice. I think for a long part of my life, the gospel sounded to me like an escape from death. Come to Jesus. You'll be saved from your sins. You'll escape death. You'll escape God's punishment and hell. And praise God, all of that is true. But nobody told me that it was about starting to live a new life. Jesus talked often about life. I am the way, the truth, and the Jesus said, when he was telling us why he'd come, he said, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. Folks, perhaps you're haunted this morning by the idea, the sense that the life that you're living isn't up to much. That it lacks meaning and purpose. And perhaps you're coming to the conclusion, along with Irving Welsh, and blur and countless others who are honest enough to speak the truth that modern life really is rubbish. If you're in that place, I say that's great. Praise God. Come now and start to live. Come and live the life that you were made for. Come and choose life. Let us pray.